Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Hey, welcome to the seventh episode of Growth Marketing Today. Today, I have Kent Fenwick, the head of growth at Hubba. Previously, he was growth at Tilt, which was acquired by Airbnb. So this is going to be good. With a master's in computer science from University of Toronto, Kent is one of those unicorn growth marketers that can do marketing and write code at the same time. In this episode, you'll learn three things. First, what Kent thinks is the easiest growth channel to understand and how to win with paid advertising. Second, how being able to code can really change the marketing game, even with tools like Unbounce, WordPress, or HubSpot. And finally, Kent shares with us the biggest problem that companies and marketers make. Now, if you want the high-level outline and quotes from this episode, simply go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 007. Once again, it's growthmarketing.today forward slash 007. Ready? Let's listen in. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to have Kent here. I know that he is all over the place. He's been in a bunch of startups, very big startups. Startups that have been acquired. Hey, Ken, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. I know, like, you've been all over the place. And I'm particularly excited because we're going to chat about you know how to code. And I know David knows you and he really looks up to you, David from Pantswell. So uh, maybe before we talk about Tilt and Hubba, let's get into like how you got where you are right now, like your career progression. I know like a lot of growth people are like all over the map. So I'm curious what you studied and then where you went to after that. Yeah, I've got an interesting kind of story. So I was that kid who always, you know, fixed computers, uh, you know, <laughs> in, in high school, but I never coded or anything. It was always that guy who could fix computers. I wanted to be a doctor my okay. whole life. That was like my thing. If you asked me in grade six, hey, like what's Ken going to be when he grows up? Everybody who knew me would have said doctor. Like that was it. And there's a good story on why that, but I was the first year of the double cohort in Ontario, which is like oh, when Oh, wow. Same, same year. What's that? I was the same. Oh, I, no was all, I was 2000. Yeah. Where did you study? I went to uh, Lauren Park High School nice. out in Mississauga, just outside yeah. Toronto there. And I was like, okay, so I need to differentiate okay. myself. Yeah. So there was this program at Queen's University up in Kingston that was biomedical computing. Okay. So my thinking was, okay, I mean, I like computers. I'm good with tech stuff. I want to be a doctor. So this will kind of be a way to differentiate myself for med school. So that's what I decided to do. Did uh, biomedical computing at, at Queens. And I can really pin down uh, like a week of my life in third year university where I kind of, I was staying up really late finishing this databases assignment. And, and I got to say, like, I had crazy imposter syndrome because I had never, like, I learned how to code at 17 in first year university. So the, some of the people I was in class with, though, were, you know, their parents were programmers. Some of them had parents who were in, like, math professors and stuff like that. And I remember our first assignment was so over my head and my classmates were just, like, coding circles around me. So, but I, I enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was kind of fun. So I realized, man, I have to do a lot of extracurricular learning here to just even keep up, not even like get ahead of my classmates, just keep up. So anyway, I, through university, I was doing this databases assignment. It's funny, I get chills every time I say it because I was like, I was in my room and it was the first time. And again, this is kind of crazy. So now I'm like third year, I'm 19, I guess, or 18. Yeah, 19. And it was the first time I'd ever written a piece of code like myself without copying and pasting, without like <laughs> cheating. <laughs> and yeah, and I got it to manipulate some data on a queen server, physically go across the ocean to the Netherlands because we had a sister university in the Netherlands, change something on the Netherlands server and then come back to the Kingston server. And then when that output okay. flashed on the screen, like when it worked, it was like this euphoric, again, like I got goosebumps. I remember exactly what it felt like. And it's like at that moment, I was like, I'm not a doctor. I'm going to be a computer scientist. And right. that kind of opened my eyes in third year to, okay, like, what am I going to do now for the rest of my way, my MCATs and decided to kind of do something different. So yeah, I decided to do a master's in uh, computer science and did that at U of T. So worked with a really cool lab at, at U of T called the DGP, the Digital Graphics Project. And what's kind of cool is I didn't realize it at the time, but I was basically learning product. So all of our classes were around like, 
user interface design, HCI, Wizard of Oz prototyping, user yeah. testing, all this kind of stuff that back then, like this is in 2007. So right. the startup scene was still in full force, yeah. but it wasn't like it is now. And, but it was amazing because it really gave me this really strong underpinning of product. And so I did that, realized did not want to do a PhD, was not cut out for kind of that kind of crazy research. I was always trying to turn all my ideas, like my thesis work into like a company. And my supervisor was like, hey, I think you're an entrepreneur. Like, I don't think you're a grad student. Like, right. frankly, you're not very good at writing papers. Like, <laughs> in fact, my first draft of my thesis that I submitted to him, he went on record to say it was the worst writing, technical writing he'd ever, because I was like telling jokes. I was like telling a story. Well, you, you don't want to be boring, right? Yeah. And he's like, Kent, like, this is a thesis. Like, do you know what technical writing is? And I was like, uh, clearly not. So anyway, I don't know if I did the right thing. I think I did the easy thing after grad school, which was, you know, I got really into this thing called Ruby on Rails, nice. which uh, I was like, you know, OG Rails, like pre 1.0. I was at the first Rails conf in Vancouver, yeah. you know, was there when like Chad Fowler was like making like Ruby gems, like the thing that we all right. use if you still use Rails. Like I was like in the room when they were putting that together and just got really, really into Rails and started consulting. So started building apps, started doing all that jazz. And then one day, this big construction client that we had, I don't know how we landed this client, I can't remember. And this is me and one other guy at the time. They were like, hey, you know, we've got this $50,000 AdWords budget. Do you guys know anything about AdWords? And we just sort of looked at each other and did the classic, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, we're experts in AdWords. Right. And we knew nothing about AdWords. And right. so we went home that weekend and we learned everything about AdWords. <laughs> And this is back in the day when like there weren't even like quality scores or right. like the quality scores oh, were wow. just like, well, they had quality scores, but you could game it like crazy. And yeah. like Google didn't know what they were doing. They yeah. were just like, they were in startup mode trying to make revenue. So, I mean, you could do all these crazy bidding things that you just never get away with now. So we got like really good at putting up results for these construction clients that we just started getting referred so much work on the, let's call it the growth side. Basically, I, uh, you know, I always still program. I always have these side hustles that I'm working on. But yeah, we kind of pivoted into this growth agency. Long story short, Top Hat, Mike uh, Silagazi, the CEO of Top Hat, was trying to, kept on messaging me on Stack Overflow careers. And I was like, dude, I don't want to work, like, stop. I thought it was like spam. I thought it was like recruiter spam. And I think he tried to like hit me up like six times. And I was like, I'm not interested. And then, you know, my partner and I, he was looking to move to Vancouver. And we decided to, you know what, let's, we're kind of getting sick of consulting. It's always right. kind of the same. I finally Googled Top Hat and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. I didn't really know what Mike wanted me to do. I actually started at Top Hat as an engineering manager, which is interesting. Right. So I'm a scrum master and big into agile. So I think he kind of wanted me to come in and like have an experienced scrum master kind of running the team. That didn't really work. I just kind of became a programmer, met Anson, who's now, uh, who was their CTO at the time, who's now over at Ada Support, just an awesome guy. Oh, nice. Ada's, they're looking to hire more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ada's growing like crazy. Yeah. Another uh, friend of mine from Tilt is there. And then I was basically just, you know, programming, helping Anson sort of like try to apply some management to the engineering team. And I realized very quickly, though, just talking to Mike, that we just, didn't have a good kind of inbound growth strategy at Top Hat at all. We had a very sales heavy growth strategy and we'd sort of talked about it and he said, hey, you can give it a shot. Like, do you want to kind of work on that? You can just sort of take that over. We're hiring this new CPO named Algosha Green and, you know, you'll work with her and you guys can kind of have at it. I was like, great, that sounds fun. Algosha ended up being this amazing mentor and this awesome person that, you know, we really sort of carved out this kind of niche at Top Hat. Mm. And then, you know, for a bunch of reasons, it sort of didn't end up working over the next year. So I was there for two and a half years. And then sort of around that time is when, you know, Tilt uh, reached out and we got talking to them and they were doing really interesting stuff. And of course, you know, tried to move my family to San Francisco and we can talk about why you shouldn't move to San Francisco. <laughs> but no, definitely glad, you know, stayed in Toronto and uh, basically did like a remote, you know, three weeks here, one week there, five weeks here, one week there kind of thing for, for Tilt. For That was Crowd Tilt at the time. And then... We moved to Tilt and then, yeah, did that for two and a half years until we found out one day that we were getting acquired by Airbnb. And then that kind of started the search all over again. And, you know, Hubba was, it's so funny. I tell the story that like, I tried poaching someone from Hubba when I was at Top Hat <laughs> and which is like not allowed because like the CEOs have this like, this pact, uh, like they just, they try not to like directly poach, right? Like obviously if, if there's interesting people, you can chat, but not like, hey, let's go steal that person. And I didn't know that. So 
And I remember the thing I used on her, her name was Emma. I said like, no one even knows what Hubba does. Like it's the most confusing product. Like just come on, like top hat's like a rocket ship, you know, just come with me. And anyway, she decided not to. So it's funny that I ended up at, at Hubba. But yeah, so now I'm, uh, so I've been here for about seven months or so. Yeah, leading growth. And somewhere in between there, I started this company called Wind Junkie with a few friends of ours, which is basically like a Groupon kind of clone. But instead of doing group buys, you could do daily contests. So we'd go to a company and say, hey, we've got this list, pay us 500 bucks, we'll put up a contest every day. And, you know, ended up kind of growing that and selling that to this media company while I was at Top Hat, which was sort of a fun um, little side thing. I'm always trying to do stuff on the side. So it wasn't some like glorious exit or anything like that, but it was cool going through that process. And, you know, we had a nice uh, steak dinner at Jacob's and but very lucky, actually. I feel like my best skill is just luck. I feel like I've sort of fallen into the right things at the right time. And I, I really can't take much credit for it. Yeah, that's so true. I was also part of that double court. I ended up in Waterloo. It's interesting you did computer science and then you got lucky and did AdWords. Has the whole like computer science and like that whole process, has it helped you at all with like thinking growth marketing in a particular way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I think that, I mean, digital marketing, when I sort of was starting, I guess this was in 2010, when we started getting 2011, maybe we started getting these AdWords jobs and no one really knew. HubSpot was really the only game in town really trying to make inbound marketing this kind of thing, you know, like really like trying to create this category. And what I identified really quickly, though, was I almost had this very magical skill set to most marketing teams where being able to code really changed the game because, and again, no offense to some of the tools I'm going to mention here, but like, you know, every marketing team uses something like Unbounce or or Marketo or or something like that. And those tools are great to kind of get started. But if you understand, you know, how servers work and if you understand code, you can make those tools do so much work for you where you're or you can even just cut them right out of, of your process. And I found that my real bread and butter is SEO. And I kind of made a name for myself as an SEO consultant as well, or we would always be doing SEO work. That Wind Junkie uh, site I talked about was a pure SEO, a pure SEO play. And if you understand how PageRank works and you understand, like if you go and read Google's paper and you can actually follow along and understand, like it does give you a huge advantage where you can kind of learn things from first principle versus oh, Neil Patel said this, and then, you know, or this blogger said this, which is, I feel like marketing is riddled with, I call it like me too marketing, where there's like five people doing original work and then everybody else is just writing about what those five people are doing in their own kind of way. So I think that having the analytical tool set that algorithms and program thinking helps. And then from an average, or like from a paid perspective, which has sort of been my world for the past couple of years, just understanding, like, I know it sounds so basic, but like the scientific method and taking good measurements and being very diligent and data-driven, if you apply that to paid, you win. And if you don't, you waste a lot of money. So even that kind of logical, experimental thinking when you're like spending money on marketing. So I encourage any marketer to, and again, like I got to do my shout out here. Programming is not hard but it's meant to look hard. And there are people who try to keep it shrouded in mystery. You might have a developer at your company who tries to make things sound really complicated. Nothing that we do on the marketing side of programming is complicated. In fact, it's very easy. It's just like anything. It takes time and it takes repetition and it takes pushing yourself. There are true computer scientists, like the wizards doing right. you know, yeah. AI and like real machine learning yeah. stuff. Like that's a totally different game. Don't set your sights on that. But if you want to be able to you know, build a custom landing page and wire things into a database and do really good attribution and things like that. You can easily learn those skills if you're just patient with yourself and, you know, put in the reps. So for any marketers listening in or any designers who's looking to get into knowing a little bit of code, enough to be dangerous, I guess. What are the top resources that you would suggest? So simple. And everyone, I think, does it the wrong way. You know, disclaimer that I have a lot of respect for Coding boot camps like right. HackerU, like yeah. BrainStation, like General Assembly. General Assembly. Yeah. Now there's another one. Bitmaker Labs. Bitmaker, Bitmaker. Yeah. All great places. And if right. you kind of want to, but you know what I see those as? I see those as like expensive ways to hold yourself accountable. Okay. 
So if you go to one of those schools, you have to pay money, which then creates a psychological like cost in your mind and you want to make sure you're getting your money's worth. So you're just more likely to do the readings, do the work, all that. But 100%, the best thing you can do is build something. Yeah. So I know it sounds crazy, but it's like, you know, you want to get better at podcasting, build a podcast. Yeah. Or you want to get better at talking, start a podcast. You want to get better at writing, write. You want to get better at development, start building something. Right. And it's daunting, that initial kind of like getting started. You're literally not going to know where to start. You're not going to know if you should, you know, what up or down is. Like you're really going to be going from nothing. But there are so many resources now where... Gosh, I mean, I can send you some we could put in the show notes. But, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter where you start as long as you're trying to solve a problem. Because if you can actually pick... So here, I'll give like a great recommendation for like a book. Now, again, people are going to make fun of me if you're a developer listening to this because like I still love Ruby on Rails. Like I am one of those like I'm old now in the tech world. So I'm one of those like curmudgeon guys who just keep saying, why is everyone using anything but Rails? But the Pragmatic Programmers, they're a company that make some of the best kind of programming books. And when you follow along with them, the reason why they're so good is you're always building something as yeah. you're learning. You're not just like, you know, it's like applied learning. So, you know, just scratch an itch. Like if there's something you want to see in the world, build it. If you're on the marketing team, one of the most fun things to teach yourself kind of basic programming is attribution. Like try to build first touch and last touch attribution where, you know, how do I know where this person came from before they opted in or downloaded my ebook or bought my thing? Like, that's a really hard problem. But when you, you know, go on Stack Overflow and start reading comments and copying and pasting code, you'll start to piece things together. And again, I'm super biased. Like I've always been a, I would much rather you just let me try how to do something versus like reading how to do it and then right. trying it. There's different kinds of learners. You got to know yourself and maybe HackerU, BitMaker, those are the best places to start. But I think a lot of people just push yourself. I mean, it's amazing what you can do if you just stop watching TV or Netflix for an hour and just try learning something. I mean, Elon Musk taught himself, you know, advanced interplanetary <laughs> physics in like three months. So I yeah. think we can learn how to do, you know, some landing pages and some database work. No, that's true. Like when I taught myself Ruby on Rails way back then. Oh, your Rails? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's right. I did a startup in Kitchener Waterloo, and I pretty much coded the backend front, and it was my first Ruby on Rails app. Amazing. But how I learned Rails was I coded a Twitter clone. Yeah. Using Ruby on Rails, I was following this guy. I forgot his name, but like John Newnanmaker, probably. I'm sure it was that He's guy. He's at GitHub now. Yeah. Yeah. So like I just coded Twitter from scratch, and it's like, oh, this is not hard. Right. It was not as hard. I mean, I was doing like um, when I was creating a code and operating system way back then in University of Waterloo. And I was like, fuck am I doing? Like, I am not built for this. I was yeah. totally freaking out. Yeah. And like Ruby and Rails like really made fun. So do you think that now though, if you had to, could you go back and do the operating system now? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It depends on the context and funness, I guess. Right. I think it, if it was something that was cool, then it would be, I would stay more focused, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. And so I think that's the key. The reason why you have to do a project, especially, and not like, don't build something that you don't care about. That's the worst thing you can do. Because yeah. then it really feels like school. Right. Where if there's always stuff around the house or like your partner or your friends have always probably said like, oh man, it'd be nice if there was a, a way to do. It's like one of the first things I built, stupidest app ever. It was called What's in the Fridge. Okay. And it was basically just a CRUD. So like a CRUD app is like create, read, update, destroy. So it was essentially a glorified database that just kept track of items in the fridge, how many we had, and then would email you if those <laughs> items were, I mean, totally impractical. No one's ever going to use this, but it actually was fun to build it to know, oh, this was a terrible idea. No one's ever going to use this. I know that sounds so stupid, but if you could build that app, you can actually build 90% of the apps that are out there. Like <laughs> right. so much of what startups are, are just these glorified interfaces on a database. Yeah. And if you just understand the idea of CRUD, if you want to Google it, if you don't know what that is, the create, read, update, destroy. I mean, literally Facebook is just one, well, okay, there's parts of Facebook that aren't, but most of it is just a giant CRUD app with some really fancy user interface stuff happening. And for God's sakes, if you're trying to learn how to code right now, don't learn React. Really? Everybody's jumping into their React bandwagon. 
they should learn Rails, I'm guessing. You're- yes, you should learn Rails or you should learn Flask or you should learn Sinatra or you should learn like React is pencil problem. You know what a pencil problem is? Oh. Okay, so Stephen King used to put on this, this conference where he would teach writers how to write. And invariably, somebody would ask the pencil problem and they would say, Mr. King, what pencil do you use to write? Oh. <laughs> and he would get so angry right. or he would get so happy. He would kick the person out and refund them their money because right. it meant one of two things. One, you're either such an idiot that <laughs> you actually think that's an important question. Right. But more often than not, you're actually already a writer. You're ready. If you're asking the pencil problem, that's your own self-sabotaging. You're so ready to write your book that now the biggest excuse you can come up with is, oh my God, if only I knew what pencil to write with, I could write my masterpiece. And when you hear it like that, it's such a stupid problem because it's not a problem. Who cares? Write it in pen. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the same with tech. Like so many people I hear, you know, oh, how should I get started in blogging? Should I use Ghost or should I use Medium or should I use WordPress? Like, Dude, just start. It doesn't matter. Right, like, yeah. Just write it down. But write a Facebook post that's 5,000 words long. Like yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's the writing that matters, right? So with programming, right. React is needlessly complicated because it's designed for advanced user interface consumption, right? So it's like, now, if your goal is to be a developer at Facebook or if your goal is to be a developer, I mean, how about we use this thing called Angular? But yes, you're eventually going to have to learn that language. You're going to have to yeah. learn that. But if you don't learn those basics, if you try to just jump right into something that's a little bit more advanced, here's the worst thing that happens. You get this crazy form of, you actually, you think you know what you're doing because you can actually put together a nice little React app that feels really fast and fluid and it'll right. save to a database. But then someone's going to ask you to do something just outside your comfort zone and you're actually going to totally crumble because you didn't build your foundation on rock. You built right. it on, you know, sand or yeah. exactly. So I'm a huge proponent of first principle right. learning. Now, does that mean you have to go learn how a compiler works or how, you know, a half adder works or how right. transistors work? Truthfully, I mean, it's really interesting. So I would say, yes, it's super cool. A great dinner table conversation, but no, I mean, obviously there's a limit, but I think if it were me, I would say stay away from all that stuff. It's going to change in two years anyway. Right, it's so true. You know, just learn the basics of HTTP. How does a database work? How do I go from input here to saving it in right. a database here? I mean, even that alone is, you're already way past most people. So right. So you're pretty good. fired up on this. No, that's so good about how programming and how to learn that. So you're not suggesting to them to learn Ruby on Rails? Oh, absolutely. Okay, 100%. All right. I mean, All right. Everybody should go pick up. So the pragmatic programmers, agile web development with Ruby on Rails is like, I think the de facto gold standard. I would gifted that book to more people than, you know, than anything. But you will read posts about how Rails is old and dusty and, you know, Node and all this stuff is the new hotness. So, or Elixir or whatever is the new hotness these days. No, that's so good. Is that a big thing that you see the difference between like traditional marketing versus now this whole growth thing that's happening? Is having that ability to learn something really quickly? Yeah, that's part of it. I think if I could pin it down to a word, it would be experimentation. Mm. So, you know, you old, like I call it like capital M marketing or, or big marketing is all about Capital M marketing. I like yeah, that. That's okay. sort of like, you know, I think what business school people will like. Yeah. My, my wife did her MBA at Schulich and I used to just like go to all of her classes just to learn. I just like sit at the back and try to like blend in. And it's funny because like there's a lot of great stuff from that marketing, like the six P's and the SWOT analysis and right. all that stuff. And of course, you're still going to have to learn those things. And you're going to have to learn how to do it. But the most important thing you can do is really remember that no one really knows. And most people who say they know are actually lucky. Right. And try to tell themselves a story as to how smart they were when in fact they just got lucky. Right. But if you learn how to design a hypothesis and test it and then modify it and test it, you really do know what you're doing. So even for me, like the first thing I do when I join any company is I try to, you know, and now everyone kind of knows it here. I kind of go on like a rant for my first three months is just predictable growth. So if you cannot generate predictable growth, you're not a marketer. Right. So, wow. you know, spending a million dollars on a Super Bowl campaign, you're not a marketer because that's not predictable. Like right. the chances of you being able to do that, if you can do it twice, if you can convince your boss to give you another million dollar, five million dollars next year and have the same results or better, sure, 
that's predictable. And yes, you understand that growth channel. But if you cannot create a formula that says, if I put X in here and mix it with W and Z and I get Y out the other end, or if you can't even approximate that, then you really have no idea what you're doing. Like, you know, you, so you need to really get in and as quickly as possible, identify a channel where you can find predictable growth. Email is the easiest because right. the baseline open rates and click rates are so easy. Yeah. SEO is another good one if you can kind of wrap your mind around that because it's so easy to say, wow, I'm position number 34 right now based on the quality of my competitors. And you got to write this stuff down. So you say, okay, I'm going to make a bet. I need 57 links to get first position. Now, how do you get that number? That's the magic of what separates right. a beginner SEO to an expert SEO. Right. But you can look at something and say, okay, I need 57 links. And then you just go to work. And you get those 57 links because you can forecast if I'm in position four, here's how many clicks I should get. If I'm in position three, here's how many clicks I can Mm. get. Based on this conversion rate, this is worth my time to do. And if you kind of can't think of your world in these predictable systems, you know, you have to kind of admit, you might want to make it look like you know what you're doing. But when you go home at night and look in the mirror, you got to understand that like you might just be really lucky and you have no idea what you're doing. So I always try to just nail that predictable growth. Sorry, I feel like I just tangent. I no, don't no, remember this what, is, the, this is what great. the question was. This is absolutely great. I was asking about the difference between growth and capital M marketing. That's right. And it's about that predictable growth, like you said. And I'm guessing the whole process is how you, it's the engine or the way that you get to that predictable growth hypothesis and things like that. Yeah, I think so. Like every company is a little different. Like when I came to Hubba, they had tried a lot of things. And luckily, they had actually documented a lot of the things that they had tried. But sometimes those are, ironically, the things that you actually want to look at the most. Because a lot of times what will happen to a company is you'll try something and you really won't try it. Like, again, the biggest problem that most companies and marketers have, all of us in life, is we just really don't stick to things. So... SEO is a great example. I talk to so many people who say, oh, we really tried SEO and it didn't work. And what I hear is like, one, you either just don't understand SEO right. or no, you just didn't try hard enough because yeah. SEO works for everybody. Yeah. I mean, if you might have to be very creative in the strategy that you pick. I mean, SEO is one of the easiest growth channels to understand because essentially if you have good content and you get backlinks, you're going to rank. That's so true. it's all about what content should I make and how do I get the links? Yeah. Everything else is kind of noise. And so I think it's being able to come in, look at what's been done, decide if you should kind of dust something off or if you should bring more people in to ideate and, you know, come up with new ideas. I'm a big believer in uh, Sean Ellis's ICE framework. Nice. So I've been yeah. using that for cool. probably since the first blog post that he wrote. I was like, oh, that's it. That makes so much sense. So we ICE everything here, which means we give it a score based on its impact, Back right. the uh, confidence you have and the ease in which you think that it's going to take. So when you kind of have that frame of mind, you can look at all of your channels and, you know, kind of just literally put numbers to them. And that'll at least give you a hint as to where to start. Right. You have no idea if you're right. And again, that's another core thing. Like nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. There's no one that can tell you, oh, you should do paid. Even though there could be this massive paid opportunity sitting right in front of you that you can't see. That's the magic of, you know, the intuitive side of it. But if you're just sort of starting, if you just like if you're doing this yourself, if you're coming into a company and they have no idea, you're like the first growth <laughs> hire, that's kind of the most exciting, but it's also the hardest because yeah. you have there's really like 17 ways you can grow. There's this phenomenal book called Traction. Action, you're yeah. Right. Great book. Great book. And even if you're an experienced uh, growth person, yeah. just picking that up and reminding yourself of all the options that are available to right. you and remembering that if you don't know what to do, you could just ideate three ideas on each of those, assign them an ICE score, and start working from the top down. I mean, that's going to get you further than most other companies who are kind of like flying by the seat of their pants. But then it just comes down to having the discipline to pick a few things and focus versus trying to do one thing this week, one thing next week. Right. That's when you just end up you know, growing in all these different directions. Right. It's about sticking through with what you've figured out is priority, right? Based on the ICE. That's right. Yeah. Or at least sticking with it. Because again, I mean, this is where it's that being said, you know, if you stick with it too long. Yeah. There's, that's the magic. It's like figuring out how long you should stick with it before you're like, no, that's not working. Yeah. And like, you'll kind of come up with different systems for that as you, and you'll get to know yourself. Like 
I'm a really intuitive person. I, I listen to my gut or whatever you want to mm. call it. And sometimes you just know, like, right. you know, you really have to listen to the tape that plays in your mind because you're really never conscious or present, right? I mean, normally there's like this tape that's just running and you're good enough. You can just catch yourself and listen to it. And if it's saying things where you really, or it's on a loop and you're like, oh, don't worry, it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. <laughs> you know, like it's nothing just gets better. Right. So you either know why it's wrong and are fixing it yeah. or are in a delusional kind of a state. So that's sort of when I know, okay, I'm just hoping that this gets better, but I need to do a radical shakeup or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Is this the same like process you went to at Tilt? Yes. Same thing at Top Hat when you were trying to do that growth thing with the VP of growth there. Yeah, like it depends on the company, your culture as well. So Top Hat was a little more hierarchical. The executives, you know, there was like a pretty clear mandate. Tilt, maybe to its credit or not, we were a very like hippie. Uh, <laughs> like it was just a different kind of an organization, which was amazing in the, the amount of freedom and autonomy you had. But it also meant that, you know, there was sometimes not as much structure as maybe was needed. Hub has got a good mix. So you kind of just have to know, hopefully you have an amazing boss like I do here who can do a great job of setting the vision and then really just letting you work within that. So, you know, reminding you, hey, this is the jungle that we need to traverse. And I don't care how you do it. You want to machete your way through. <laughs> you want to climb the trees and hot, like, doesn't matter. But you're in the right jungle, you know? Oh, that's good. That's so good. In terms of a team that you find for ideation, who do you like being in that room? Like, do you, I guess what I'm trying to ask, if you had the ideal growth team you're trying to put together to tackle problems, growth problems, who would be in that room with you? Great question. I think the common, like the obvious players, so somebody who understands, develop like technical, like engineering, those are always really great because a lot of times, even for me now, because I'm not a developer day to day, I will think something is really hard and then a developer will say, no, that's super easy. We could do that and, you know, or vice versa. You know, you forget that, you know, this sounds really easy, but it's actually really hard. Honestly, this sounds kind of cliche, but bringing in like the highest possible level you can get. So if you have a founder, if you're working for a startup, bringing that person in as quickly as possible, actually, a lot of times what you'll find is they're in two states. They either have amazing ideas or they don't have amazing ideas, but they need to at least get their ideas out and feel listened to okay. so that you can kind of go through them and you feel like they've at least been able to air them. If you don't do that, you end up in those kind of passive aggressive. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Why are you doing this? Right. You know, th those kind of things. So bringing in like senior management as much as possible. Founders would be ideal. And then, you know, basically people who talk to customers. So we have a community team, uh, support as many people as you can get. So for me, it's all those players. And then a couple people from the marketing side, people that I just have good energy with. And sometimes I'll even bring in like the contrarian. So nice. that person at the company who... Always disagrees with you. Exactly. Always good to have that voice in right. the room as well. And as long as everyone knows the ground rules, like, you know, no bad ideas, no judging. We're putting everything up. And then a team of skilled people will judge and will score. And that's non-negotiable. Right. So you have every opportunity to get it out there and make your case. But I am not beholden to doing any of the ideas nice. that you talk about here. And as long as that's really clear, then you can take full ownership of the successes and the failures and hopefully just remind and spread that these aren't, I think it's really important. Like I feel like at Hubba, I don't really work on my ideas. Mm. Like I work on other people's ideas that they've convinced me are good ideas. So you just got to go in and listen. And if people start to see that you're listening and those ideas are working, the levels of ideas just keep mm. getting better and better. Sense. It's actually a really easy job. You just have to listen and try things and that's it. In terms of like a team for execution. So now you have ideas. Who would you like to see in a growth team that would execute on those ideas now to experiment and see if it works out? Yeah, again, it's so much depends on your company, but I think really it kind of falls into two broad categories. One, if you have a good CPO or a good product team that really understands how closely product and marketing and growth need to work, then ideally you actually have a growth team in the traditional sense of what we think of when we hear 
growth team a la Chamath at Facebook, right. Sean Ellis at Dropbox. These were developers, designers, marketers, product managers, product marketing managers. Like they had a stacked team of people to execute full stack, right? That's ideal. Rarely happens, especially not in Canada. Yeah, especially not in Toronto. I yeah. Think. yeah. So the best thing you can do then is really make clear divisions between like your circle of influence and your circle of concern. So we talk about a lot here where you always want to be influencing product in the direction you think mm. is the best for acquisition or engagement, which is sort of world falls under. But that's like literally like house of cards style. Yeah. Like you're influencing, you're taking people out for coffees, you're right. having, you're casually leaving data on yeah. people's desks. You're like dropping hints, you're like little finger, you're like playing them like that's seven. That's so funny, you, you know, know like, Yeah, like just, that's part of it. Like you right. need to be able to influence people to go or listen to their reasons why they, they'll catch you and be like, I know what you're trying to do and here's why I'm not going to do it. And then you can kind of have like a real like actual debate. But then your circle of concern is like, what tools can we actually be productive with? So I like to think of it like one of the best kind of metaphors for creativity is like Saturday Night Live. So, you know, they're going live on Saturday. It's in the name. They have to go live. Yeah. And they've never not gone live. Right. And they start on Monday and they got to have something ready for Saturday. So... I mean, this is just like sprinting in Agile. You really need to just commit that, what can we actually get done? What can this team actually do? That's your circle of concern. And the goal is to try to keep just growing that as much as possible. So, okay, what can we actually influence? Well, we can send a bunch of emails. Marketing teams can always send a bunch of emails. (laughs) Can we change where those emails, where the links go? Yes, yes, we can do that. That's just HTML. Okay, it's good. Now, can we like, Send them to a landing page that we control. Yeah, I think we can do that. Okay, cool. So that's another part. Okay, who's going to build that? I know a little bit of HTML. Good. Okay, you're building it now. Okay, so like we don't have a designer. Okay, go to Theme Forest and get the design that the most closely matches our product. Oh, yes. Gosh, our landing pages are all built off of like ragtag bootstrap themes that's so and stuff funny. like that that our design team doesn't even know about. I would never show our they design team. Of course, because <laughs> we don't follow any of official There's, guidelines. That's so funny. But they convert way better than the homepage. Yeah. So, you know, you just have to kind of go rogue in the most organized way possible where you're always... Now, this is if you don't have full influence yeah. over, over product. Yeah. And, and normally you won't because hopefully your product team is just building a great product. Right. And a lot of times things like acquisition and things can kind of fall off because, you know, they see it as like marketing and they want to do product. So yeah, I know. Right. I always try to, when you're hiring, you want to hire for, you know, generalists as much as possible Mm. or a specialist who just has such a cliche term now, but it's so true, this growth mindset. Right. So you're looking for like, have you done a bit maker? Have you done a brain station? Have you ever pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone? Because Everybody on my team eventually learns HTML. They learn CSS. They cool. learn like JavaScript. Ruby on Rails? Sometimes. It depends. Right. Like, for the right people though, yeah. Like if I think cool. that you're ready for it, I'm like, okay, here's Heroku. Oh, wow. In the okay. next 10 minutes, we're going to go launch a server that our ops team doesn't know about. <laughs> and it's going to drive more users than, you know, so. That's funny. And we're going to do it right now. Like, yeah. oh yeah, we, we do that stuff all the time. This is where the hacker comes in now, right? You're like almost doing stuff that are subversive. Like you're not. I don't. I want to say subversive is a little too. No, you don't. You never want. You always want to communicate. So okay. think about it like you know, if you're not comfortable sending an all at email, right, with what you're doing or mm-hmm. posting it in the general Slack, you might be a little too far. Okay, so there's a boundary. Yes. <laughs> now sometimes you got to go that far. And you got to do things right. to get the data to then go and say, "Hey, I've been doing this in secret for the past two weeks," but you got to understand the risks there. That could go very wrong yeah. for a lot of reasons, right? Yeah. And you might not even know. Like, let's say you have a, a strong competitor and you've got this amazing campaign idea that basically just roasts that competitor. Well, your you know COO CO, right. might be in the middle of a partnership. Right. With that competitor or an acquisition. And, and then they see one of your Facebook ads where you're, I don't know, doing something terrible <laughs> to their logo. And they're like, okay, well, that's done. Like you guys, you know, so I'm speaking from experience here. Like this has happened. So, oh, okay. I mean, you, that's when you know you're a little too far gone. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is you want to be autonomous enough that you can go do things outside of your, like just get things done in whichever way you can, but also communicate them to get feedback but always get feedback after you've done it. That's the key. So you post it and then you say, hey, everyone, this is live. If you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it and I'll go change it versus like 
you never ask for feedback before it goes live or else you're going to just add like four or five days to oh, your… Oh, that's true. I thought it's more so they'll tell you no so that you don't get to the point where like, like scope creep. You just keep adding more Right. And you, that's why you features. never show it to a designer. Because <laughs> if you show a landing page to a designer, oh, I get you're now like you've shown your hands. So you've got to go rogue on those, especially when it comes to design. Right. Prove that you can convert it and then go to them and say, hey, I know you think this is ugly, but it's converting at 22%. Right. So now your challenge is make it look prettier, but if it drops below 22%, I'm going back to <laughs> this funny. you know, dusty yeah. design, right? This whole process that you've been chatting about, is there any particular like wins that you can think of that really, whether it's at Built or Top Hat or even at Hubba that, yeah, I was proud of that win because of this process and this things, rogueness that I'm doing? Oh man, lots. I think the… So I, well, probably one of the better ones at Tilt was, so Tilt launched internationally very quickly. And because of my kind of SEO background, I'm always looking at keywords and I'm always running them through tools and trying to find these opportunities where we can really strike. So I showed, I just so happened that our head of international was co-located in Toronto. And basically we, we noticed that in France, so we weren't in France yet. We hadn't launched there, but we had thought about it. We had hired a country manager in the UK who was from France, so he knew the French market very well. But there's all these regulatory concerns. Anyway, we hadn't launched in France. But we started seeing that there was this word in the French <laughs> language. It was this weird kind of concept where it meant like pooling money with friends. Right. So in English, it's actually hard to communicate tilt. So our whole marketing strategy was to make it a verb, like tilt it, tilt yeah. this, tilt that, Right. right? Very hard to do. and But in France, they actually had a name for tilt. It was called cagnotte. And that meant collect money with friends. Oh, So we were like, wow, okay. So, And there was a couple other competitors that are doing things. But we basically went totally rogue. And we, we actually created a whole other, this is kind of neat. We created this like, it was this company. Okay, so we built the Rails app that we built a community, a crowdfunding community right. over the course of just four days Okay, that ranked all of the other competitors in France, showed you like we had like these comparison charts oh, that showed wow, okay. like if you use this one, the fees are this much. If you use this one, the fees are this much. But we made it look, we've put all this fake data in. We made it look really lived in, like we had reviews and comments and it was all <laughs> fake, all smoke and mirrors, right? Okay, cool. And then what, what we did is we started just driving paid ads to it to say, because with SEO, paid is the best way to start SEO is to pay. Right. So you just start driving paid traffic to it to see if it converts. And you're thinking your theory or hypothesis is, okay, if I can pay for traffic to come here and it converts, if I know I could get that traffic organically, it should convert even better. Right. Because organic traffic always converts better than right. paid. So we just started running paid ads, but like we created a separate Facebook page, separate Facebook, like all this stuff, like just totally like it was like this different thing. And it started working. So from there, that let us build up the case to then go to our team and say, hey, we have a strategy for France. For France. And now there was a ton of other things in terms mm. that we were already getting ready to go into France, but that became our primary growth wow. engine in France. And I mean, it's an incredible story. Like by the time Tilt was acquired, we were actually doing almost as many tilts in France as we were doing in some parts of the U.S. Heck. So, I mean, like, we really found this incredible, and yeah. it was all basically because we built this side community that was full of just fake data. Um, so, who built it? Was you? Yeah. It was just, just you me. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. did it in four days? Well, yeah, because it was all fake data, right? So, again, like, go to Theme Forest, you find a community right. template, you create a Rails app right. in a couple days, you spend the next two days writing a generator script that just fills it with there's gems to generate fake data. Right, yeah. I mean, that was kind of it. And what did your boss was like, what's wrong? He was like, oh, this is awesome. Or was like, well, we didn't even say it was us at first. We just oh. said like, oh, look at this site. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, that's interesting. And like, yeah, like we're on this site. Like, isn't that cool? And then from there we started. I do that all the time. Like even at Hubba, I'll, I'll go on record to say like, I have stores on Hubba that people at the company don't even know are my stores. But I just do it as a way to see like if our product's actually working, is our marketing message kind of landing? So right. that's the kind of fun part you can have on growth where like, you know, if you work at Shopify, right. you know, you should have a Shopify store yeah. and they encourage that. If you work at Hubba, you should be doing whatever you can to learn what is it like to be a buyer? Right. What is it like to be a wholesaler? Right. And how can I actually yeah. test these, you know? So 
and that, but you don't necessarily want to tell people that you're doing that. You want to have an ace in the hole sometimes. So, so you eventually told your boss. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, was he ecstatic? No, not really. I don't think that one actually went over as well as it. But we couldn't argue with the data, so it ended up becoming our growth strategy. That's so funny. Yeah, I know we've been going around in circles. About Hubba, like I should have asked this, what is Hubba for oh, the yeah. listeners that don't know? Great question. So Hubba is like a dating app for wholesalers and for buyers. Nice. So the idea is if you've got an e-com site, if you're a drop shipper, the biggest problem you have is finding good products for your store. So you can go to like AliExpress or you can use yeah. some crappy thing like Oberlo or whatever. And you're going to basically get kind of garbage in, garbage out and compete with all these people. Hubba is a trusted network where you have to apply, you have to go through a vetting process. And you know that the brands you're finding on Hubba are serious brands looking to grow their wholesale. And the buyers that are on Hubba are serious buyers looking to add quality inventory to their stores. So we really kind of cater to that small to medium-sized business where you're a brand who maybe has your sights set on getting into Whole Foods, but you're not there yet. You want to get into 100, you got a protein bar and you want to get into 100 yoga studios across the U.S., So we'll connect you with those buyers and facilitate those transactions. You're a buyer and you're looking to find a super specific, I need activated charcoal because all my clients are coming in asking for activated charcoal. You can spend four hours on Instagram finding a bunch of crappy leads, or you can just come to Hubba, find an activated charcoal brand. You know they're ready to wholesale and it's done for you. So yeah, really just a dating app for businesses. Nice. And your role here is head of growth, obviously. Yes, I think we officially changed it to acquisition and engagement somewhere along the line, but I still sign it with growth. growth. Essentially, how many users are coming in the door and how good are they? Nice. And are they doing what we want them to do? And it seems like you're still doing code. I just overlooked your laptop. I saw Sublime up and you were touching some code. That's true. Right. Very, very, yes, I was touching some wonderful Ruby code. And we, so on the marketing side, we've sort of built a whole kind of marketing app that runs most of our stuff. And I, the gatekeeper of that. So uh, I always tend to do that. I always end up just like building something to make my life easier. And then it makes taking vacations really hard because typically on the on the marketing team, you're the only one who knows how to maintain it. Right. But luckily here, we have a lot of amazing developers. So I've already, you know, gotten them up to speed on it. So if anything breaks, they, they can fix it. <laughs> it <laughs> breaks that- all the time. Nice. Yeah. We're hitting the hour, man. It just, it feels a lot shorter. Just chatting with you. It's been awesome. Do you have any tips for anybody trying to get into growth? Your experience has been so diverse. What would be your tip to maybe somebody who's an undergrad studying marketing or computer science or something else? What would you tell them? Great question. I think you just have to start something. And I think the best advice I give everybody is, you know, scratch an itch or find somebody who's doing something interesting and throw yourself into a problem that you have no business solving as long as you're excited about that problem. So, I mean, even you, like, how did you start this podcast? Did you read books about it? Or did you just say, like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I was like, I asked a friend, how do you do it? The next day, I rented some stuff and then bought a domain. And now I'm here talking to this awesome dude. Well, and hey, like, I've had pitches from people doing podcasts before, but there was something about your pitch. I was like, oh, I like this. This is good. Like, you know, so you definitely <laughs> did something right, especially with the, the pedigree of people you have on before me. Yeah, I think that it's, you're always going to feel like an imposter. You're always yeah. going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. You're always mm. going to feel like there's someone smarter than you. You're always going to feel like there's someone who should be in your seat. And I feel like that. I feel like that every day because I look at people doing things that I think are so much better than what mm. I'm doing. So you just have to get started and build something. I think that, and, and that doesn't mean coding. Like that doesn't mean you have to sit there and code. You could go create a Shopify store and try mm. to, you know, drive traffic to it. If you don't have any money, even better. Now you have to learn SEO. Now you have to learn you know, other ways to drive free right. traffic. So I think that anytime I'm interviewing somebody, the biggest thing I look for is, and my default interview question is always like, if I put you in a room and left you by yourself with a computer, what can you actually do with that? And it sounds like a weird question, but what it teases out is like, one, what do they enjoy doing? That's always the first thing they'll mention or what they're really good at. But What you find is that a lot of people have these amazing degrees, but they can't do anything. They've never written copy before. They've never tried writing an email. They've never written like a landing page. They've never tried to build something. They've never tried to do a podcast. Like they, 
you're all in theory, but you've never tried anything right. yourself. And that's a big red flag for me. So if you say like, oh, well, I could create a plan, boom, you're at strike one. Well, I could create a presentation, ooh, like strike two, like what could you do? And I think one of the easiest things all of us on the growth and marketing side could do is, you know, I could pick up the phone and call a customer or I could mm. go read the support tickets and find out what we're doing. It's like, yes, like, again, like that's a skill that you can actually right. do and apply. So just try to build something in the broadest sense, you nice. know, uh, build a community, build a product, build a podcast, right. you know, just put yourself in really uncomfortable situations mm. and wake up every day feeling like sick to your stomach, like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? That's probably a good feeling to chase. That's yeah. a good tip. I would definitely condone that or support that. <laughs> I guess the final thing I want to ask is if there's any promotion you'd like to ask. Like where can people find Hubba? Where can people find Kent? Like if you have a blog, you have a LinkedIn or Twitter. Yeah, yeah, sure. So Hubba is just Hubba.com. You can apply there and um, we will approve you if you're a brand or a buyer. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Kent F. I tweet Sometimes I'm not, I don't know. I love Twitter so much. It's my favorite social network, but nice. I don't know. Over the past couple of months, I've just, I don't know. I'm kind of in this, like when you got two kids, I'm in this like super, I just try to suck every minute of my day out. And I find that Twitter is just becoming like a giant distraction. Right. I do write on Medium. Nice. I can't F. And yeah, can I mention that thing I was telling you about Anything. before? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually have a podcast nice. called Pencil Problems. You can find it. And it's basically just me and a buddy that I've been friends with for a while. And we talk about the side projects that we're working on. We talk about philosophy, growth, startups, kids, nice, all that jazz. But, and that's um, on uh, iTunes and Apple Play. Or do you guys have a website? Nope. No website. I guess it's on iTunes. When I type Pencil Problems into iTunes, it comes okay. up. I should probably get a website. <laughs> yeah. Do that on Ruby on Rails. And yeah, like, yeah. Get a team yeah. forest. Just team. build a really complicated. No, but and again, like my ask is like, if you do have questions, if you're interested in Hubba, we're actually hiring for like a growth developer right nice. now. So very junior. So if you've done a Bitmaker, if you've done a BrainStation, if you've done any of these coding boot camps, you're probably a good fit, and you'll get to work with me and push you like crazy to expand your skill set by the time you leave. So yeah, and really thank you for having me on, and can't wait to see how this podcast develops. Hopefully, you'll be you know bigger than Joe Rogan in a few years. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, Ken. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening in on this episode. You know, one of the things I loved about this episode is how real Kent gets. One thing he said that really struck me, he said, you're always going to feel like an imposter. You're always going to feel like someone is smarter than you. You're always going to feel like someone should be on your seat. Kent said he feels like that when he's surrounded by so many amazing people. And what he said is that you just have to get started and build something. And that doesn't mean coding. It could mean creating a Shopify store. So good. If you want the high-level outline and some of the quotes that Ken said in this episode, you can just go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 007. If you liked it, please subscribe to this show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get a podcast so we can get the word out about the show. Thanks so much. You can also sign up for our Insider Club community at growthmarketing.today to get the latest news and join our members-only Slack community. If you have any feedback or questions or you just want to say hi, send me a short, friendly email at ramley at growthmarketing.today. In next week's episode, I chat with Turgut Jarbarli. He's the head of growth at an AI company here in Toronto called DeepPixel. Other than that, this is Ramley from Growth Marketing Today and don't stop growing. Pop, pop, pop.